0: with an Atkinson smile, so I want to welcome you guys, I hope that for those of you who celebrated uh, Thanksgiving, that you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, For you who did not celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you had a great Thursday. So, um... hi Shepard. Everybody's happy, Uh, kids are happy, I I like that. Some of the adults are a little bit tired, that's okay that is absolutely okay. So we've got a lot of things coming up over the next month. We've got the Hanukkah conference that's going to be here on Friday and Saturday, uh, December 27th and 8th. I think that's right. I didn't bring my notes with me because Daniel and Ephraim aren't here to remind me about my notes. So... Uh, The 27th and 28th, it is all day Friday, all day Saturday. Uh, We will have Brad Scott of the Wild Branch Ministry here as well as Ephraim and Daniel and myself and Amy and Monty. We'll all be here for two days of uh, fun studying, kids programs, youth programs, all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, we'll be here celebrating those two days. So we'd love to have you come and join with us for that. Trying to think of what else we got going on. We, I know we did a clothing drive. We did the the hats and the scarves and the jackets drive. And uh, I know everybody like with Thanksgiving and everything. If you guys are going through your stuff, if you see like a great deal on something, we can always take stuff for the homeless. So, If you're cleaning out your house, if you're cleaning out your closet, if you just happen to see a good deal while while you're at the store, you want to bring it in, get it to myself, Daniel, Ephraim, or the Druze, and we'll definitely make sure to uh, get it into the hands of the people in the community who uh, have needs during this season. And so let's go ahead, let's stand up, let's find somebody that maybe we don't know, let's say Shabbat Shalom to them, and we're going to go ahead and get started in worship. Father, during this season, this time where we reflect on the things that we are thankful for, Father, we'd like to thank you for all that you're doing in the midst of this community. Father, today we lift up Brent Avery as he's been struggling with the issues with his back, Father, and the pain. Father, we lift him up to you, Father, for speedy healing. Father, for Ephraim and Lauren and the kids as they are still on the road visiting family, Father, I pray that you would just continue to give them safe travels back, Father, that their time with their family would be great. Father, for the Musin family, the DeFore family, the Tyndall family, Father, be with them in their trips father both in the country and out of the country may this time together be refreshing and bring them back safe to us father for those who are struggling with depression and anxiety during this season father for those who are struggling with the loss of a loved one father for those who maybe don't even know that they're fully struggling We ask, Father, that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, that you would be their shalom, that you would be their peace. Father, for Israel, for all the stuff that's going on over there, Father, it seems like there's so much unrest in the world right now, not only here at home, in American politics and government, but also in Israel. Father, I don't know a lot, but I do know that you're in control. And so we place all of our concerns, all of our cares, all of our burdens at your feet, Father, for you are capable to do so. Father, we are so blessed to have a place to come and to gather, to worship you in spirit and truth, Father, to exalt your name high. What a blessing it is, Father. How gracious and how merciful you have been to each and every one of us. Father, for the prayer requests that I'm not aware of, I know that you are. Father, be with those people. Be their peace, be their shalom. For it's in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. All right, it's that time again. Grab the kiddos. And bring your friends. We got a couple running up here all happy. Man, she's getting big. He's getting big, big, big. You too, Evie. You're getting big too. I remember. Yeah, sorry. This is what happens when Daniel and Ephraim are out of town. Steve, can I grab you for a second?
1: All right. These kids should be a little more tired with all the turkey they ate, right? All that tryptophan. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for Shabbat. Thank you so much for a time of rest and refreshment and renewal. Father, thank you so much that as the seasons change, Father, we can look at these kids and realize, Father, you're doing a work in them. You, our Father, are, are cultivating them. You're bringing them up into your kingdom, Father. And may we be a part of that work, Father. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to be choosing joy over frustration. Help us to be choosing holiness, Father, over anger, Father, but we thank you so much again that you you are leading us in your principles and help us to be teaching our children the same thing. Father, we just speak blessing and life over them and may we be doing that more than just here, but may that life and that blessing over our children be something that continues throughout the week. Father, we thank you again. as you just give them rest, give us rest today and may you join with us, Father, and be in our presence as we, we just want to spend time with our kids and be here as a family all together. We thank you again. We praise you now in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Okay. Let me get myself together here. I'll try not to drop my Bible this week. Okay, so we're... We're moving on, cruising on through Genesis. This week's passage is. Anyone? Told out. It's told out, and it starts in Genesis 25, verse 19, and it goes all the way to chapter 28, verse uh, 9. So the passage begins with Isaac being 40 years old, and he takes a wife. And the wife, of course, is Rebecca. And they don't have kids for 20 years. Not until, not until Isaac comes before the Lord, and he prays, and he opens up Rebecca's womb. Lo and behold, though, when they have kids, or when she becomes pregnant with, with children, with a child, they think, she says, she says that, senses that something is not right. So she inquires of the Lord. And in verse 23, it says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. It says, And when the days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out all red, hairy like a garment all over. And afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of his heel. The elder was named Esau, and the younger was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when uh, she bore them. So, already, we see a stark contrast between um, Jacob and Esau. There's already a, a complete difference. There's already a family dynamic that's taking place here. And as we see moving further on, it says in verse 27, so the boys grew And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, is what my translation says, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, kind of going from here, I think it's easy to assume, maybe, in in my opinion, why Rebekah loved Jacob so much. She was given the word from the Lord that the elder would serve the younger But from Isaac's perspective, it was easy for him to see, oh yeah, this is my firstborn son. He's the strong one. He's the burly one. He's the one that's out doing manly stuff. So I love this son because he's going to carry on the name. But Rebecca was given that promise of the older serving the younger. So, as we read in the story further on, Isaac develops blindness in his old age. And sometimes I wonder if that was the Lord's purpose, to put that blindness on Isaac. He could see, Isaac that is, he could see that he loved his son Esau because he could see he was a manly man. He could see that he was, he was kind of the, this, this burly guy that he thought, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be the man. But he didn't really, I'm assuming, didn't really see Jacob very much because Jacob dwelt in tents. He was mild, he was timid. Took something else for him to see that that promise in his son Jacob. So, do I believe that that Yodivave, our Father, got intended for the blessing to go to Jacob instead of Esau? Yes. Do I believe that Jacob valued the birthright more than Esau? Yes. Esau didn't care. He didn't give. He didn't think it was worth beans, and he despised it, is what the passage says. And do I believe that Rebecca heard from the Lord? Yes, I do. But do I believe that the way Jacob and Rebecca went about obtaining that blessing from Isaac, do I believe that was correct? No. I think that was deceptive. I apologize here. That's not to say that Yahweh can't use bad behavior for good outcomes. It says in Romans, God uses all things to work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God used Abraham lying about Sarah as his sister. God used Abraham and Sarah's bad behavior in regard to Hagar. God used Isaac's bad behavior when lying about Rebecca being his sister there are still negative consequences for these bad choices. But we'll see that there are good outcomes. Because ultimately, God, he is able to work through the painful things that we do. He still loves us. And the, things, the bad things that we do, they're not going to hurt God directly, but they hurt God in the sense that we're hurting ourselves. And he loves us so much. Sometimes I wonder though, if they had trusted if they had trusted God, if, if Rebecca and, and Jacob had trusted God, just waited, that would have been a pretty narrow window of time. Because from the time that Isaac told Esau, go hunt me some game, and from the time that he brings it back prepared, it's a small window of time. And within that time, they were, they were rushing to get it done, you know, Rebecca and, and Jacob and their plot. But I wonder, what would have happened? Like Maybe, maybe, maybe they would have come back and the meat would have been really bad. And Isaac would have been like, "Ah, oh, that's awful meat. Get out of here. I'm not going to even you the blessing for that. Or maybe, maybe Isaac would have gotten his hair caught in a thicket and the Lord would have provided the sacrifice. So anyway, <laughs> either way, Rebecca was not honorable and that she coaxed her son to dishonor her husband and his father. I believe she heard from the Lord, but again, what she did was dishonorable. Jacob, at his fault, he was passive. He didn't stand up for what was right. And he, he allowed himself to act deceitfully from, through the, the pressure of his mom, his mother, to lie to his father. And it can be argued that he was honoring his mother, but he was honoring his dishonorable mother. I find that ironic and passive, that, that male behavior has already caused so many problems this early on in the Bible. As I said before, Abraham didn't stand up and say that he was Sarah's husband. Isaac didn't stand up and say that he was Rebecca's husband. Adam didn't stand up when the serpent was coming against Eve. In regard to Esau, well, he had a lot of problems. We'll just say that. (laughs) Remember, with all this negativity living about in our minds, I do want to, I want to hinge on this fact. God still used every single person in this story to build his kingdom. He still used the fact that they were broken people. And these are the, the, the building blocks, the foundation stones upon our faith. These are the patriarchs of, of, of the ones that are bringing up and bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth. I take so much solace in that because I fail daily. We all fail daily, and if we say we're not, we're lying to ourselves. Just remember, God has the power of redemption. When we fail, that's not a place to say we're going to stay in that failure. God doesn't leave us in our failures. He reaches down and he brings us up. Just as he's bringing up and he's bringing through, or bringing his kingdom through the failures of this family. Stand fast in the Lord. Remain in him. And he'll bring you up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much that you you see us, Father. You see through the things that we, we try and throw up. We try and disguise our failures. We try and hide the things, Father, that separate us from you. That you are a good and faithful, Father. And that you want to heal us. You want to bring restoration individually and corporately, Father. You desire, Father, your goodness and your mercy to be shown. So please reveal it to us today, Father. May your words be spoken. May your kingdom be brought about. We praise you now in Yeshua's mighty name. I just want to make a quick note real fast. So again, next, next week um, after service in the afternoon, I believe it's going to be 4 o'clock or 4.30, we're going to be meeting at City Rescue Mission. If you could either contact me or Alicia, um just so we can kind of get a head count. And then also the, the following morning, morning, Sunday morning, I'll be meeting at Grace Living Center at 10.30 for worship and a, and a small message. So if you guys are able to come to either one of those, please contact either Alicia or me. And we would love to see you guys there. Chris, how are you Sorry, there's
0: always got to be one. So next weekend is busy. We have uh, Saturday afternoon, we have the outreach, as Stephen said. And then on Sunday morning as well, we have the outreach. All right, so I have a real question for you before we get into... Uh, The message today, how many of you went into the unknown and saw Frozen 2? I see one hand. I see two hands. Two people. You guys are into the woods. Now it's time for you to do the next right thing. And it will all make sense when you get older. Now that I've started off a sermon with all Frozen 2 references... And that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today. Hopefully, you guys are loosened up a little bit. Everybody is just a little kind of, you know, I'm an impassioned guy. Up here, the weather's nice, the air is warmer than it is down there, the planes are circling. I got more jokes. We're going to liven up. Everybody liven up a little bit because we are going to talk about a little bit of a serious topic. And so I don't want you to feel like you're getting browbeat uh, because that's definitely not what the goal is. However, didn't work with Stephen on his message and he didn't work with me on his. But there is a couple of uh, key themes there Uh, for today. Today we're going to talk about the Jonah generation and Kanye. And yes, the two do go hand in hand with each other. So. How many of you know the story of Jonah? A lot more hands on the story of Jonah. So everybody knows about the the, the whale and God came to Jonah, asked him to go do something, told, told him to go tell a city to repent. Jonah didn't want to do it, and so Jonah went ahead and he ran away from the Lord. Got onto a boat with a bunch of other fishermen. The boat went crazy. They cast lots. Jonah said he was a Hebrew. It was a Hebrew God who was upset. They cast him overboard. He spent, a, he spent a little bit of a vacation in the belly of the whale. In Cozumel, it was like an Airbnb. Definitely was not what they said it was going to be. But he spent a little bit of time in the belly of the whale. And then ultimately after after repenting, after uh, calling out to the Lord, the Lord had the whale spit him out and he went to Nineveh. So that's kind of a real quick Overview. Uh, it's a small book, only four chapters in the Bible. Um, it is one of the only prophets in the Bible that was actually sent out, not to the Hebrew people, not to the Israelites, which makes it very intriguing when you read it. Because ultimately, the whole story—another key fact—is it's kind of done in a narration. It's not necessarily firsthand, which a lot of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and that. It's it's firsthand, uh, their accounts, what the Lord was doing with them. However, somebody is obviously telling the story of Jonah and what happened. So there's some some key things here in this book of Jonah, um, but that's basically the story. Now, I want to focus in on some writings because Jonah is a story in a book of the Bible that has been taught more times than I am years old. And probably will continue. Uh, it is one of the like elementary Bible school things. And so it, it's one of those ones you can build off of year after year uh, as you're going in. So there is a, a gentleman, his name is Ezekiel Kaufman, who wrote a book called The Religion of Israel. In that book, he makes this statement about the book of Jonah. It is a classic statement of the Israelite idea of repentance. One of the creations of the religion of Israel. Paganism knows of confession and atonement, but it is ignorant of repentance. Jonah is outraged, not because he is a narrow-minded zealot, but because he is a champion of divine justice. He is the voice of the ancient idea that sin must be punished. As the exponent of divine justice, according to Kaufman, Jonah could therefore not accept the idea that Nineveh could repent. Now, that's a pretty, common, a pretty common thing. You know, you look up the book of Jonah, you look up the commentaries on the book of Jonah. And basically, one of the issues that they had is that Jonah could not come to grips with the fact that God would be merciful to them. And kind of just didn't want to do it. Because it's like, well, God, I already know what you're going to do. You're you're going to, if they turn away from it, you're going to go ahead and you're going to save them. You're going to offer salvation to them. So you're pretty much just wasting my time. I don't really want to go. Well, what seemed like a very simple instruction, a very easy situation for him, turned into a whole entire nightmare for him. Both Martin Luther and John Calvin... um, two of our well-known early church fathers, as I give you a little bit of Jewish sources and then early church sources as well. In their commentaries on the book of Jonah, they place the focus on Jonah's grief over the plant at the end of the story. Now, how many of you, when you remember the story of Jonah, you remember the end, after they've gone ahead, they've repented, Jonah throws another fit He goes outside the city and he waits to see whether the Lord will actually bring destruction. This is towards the end of chapter 4 of Jonah. Again, it's a very short book of the Bible. So at the end of chapter 4, Jonah goes outside the city up on a perch and he waits to see if the Lord is actually going to bring destruction or if the Lord is going to save the city of Nineveh. At that point in time, Jonah becomes kind of a whiny baby. He's, He's a little bit P.O.'d. He's a little upset. He's just not happy. And he's kind of pouting out there. Well, it's hot. It's out in the desert. The sun is going. So the Lord provides a shade plant that comes up out of the ground to cover Jonah. And, well, that didn't change Jonah's attitude. You know, kind of like when I spank my three-year-old. I don't really spank him if the FBI is watching online. But as I theoretically spank my three-year-old and he goes to his room and he comes back and he wants to do the same exact thing. Jonah kind of did the same thing. The Lord provided him shade. He's out there. He's kind of just sulking in himself. And the Lord provided this shade and the shelter for him. And yet he still decided that was the same attitude he was going to have. So what did the Lord do? The Lord said, hey, well, you know, I don't need to be nice to you. And he takes the plant away. And of course, just like every good, wise, discerning man, he throws another fit. And he's like, oh, it should just be that I die. It's like dude was missed his calling in Shakespeare. And so he over-exaggerates as he's out in the sun that, oh, it would just be better for him to die because the plant is no longer there to offer him shade. However, I really want to put the focus on a portion of chapter 4 today that I don't think gets a lot of of attention. Something that really kind of spoke to me, and I, I don't know that I have the answer for you, but definitely going to go through it, and we'll see what comes up. In chapter 4, it says, but it displeased, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This is after God went ahead and said, oh my goodness, they've repented. I'm going to, I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. And so this is where we pick up right here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? kind of like, Lord, didn't I tell you this is exactly what was going to happen when I was back there? I didn't even have to come here. That is why I made haste to flee towards Tarsh. Okay, so if Jonah knew that God was going to bring about no destruction of Nineveh, why did he flee? why didn't he stay in his spot, in his country, and just say, God, I already know what the end outcome is. I'm not going to go. Just go ahead and do what you're going to do. Why did he flee? He's like saying, well, like, God, I I've, I knew this is what you're going to do, so this is why I flee. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I think he maybe was going to put him to the test in his own life on that. Because it's like if, if he truly believed this when he's stating this to God and he believed that this is what God's intention was for Nineveh, then why did he run? Why would you fear and run away from somebody who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster? You know, sorry, police, I need to get a restraining order from somebody who is slow to anger and gracious and merciful and abundant in love. Abundant in love could be kind of creepy nowadays, but went too far with that analogy. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. Here's where it gets like super dramatic. Like, Visco girls, like super dramatic. So like, oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live with a scrunchie on my arm. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? That's where I want to focus. Do you do well to be angry? The Lord asked him. I mean, the Lord, like I'm sitting here and I am not the smartest man in the world. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, this guy's all over the place because he's saying, I know God is going to be merciful to this country. And yet he flees. And then he comes back and he tells the Lord after he's done this, after the Lord has done exactly what he was going to do, which is he, he relents. He's not going to bring the judgment upon Nineveh at that point in time. And he said, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord, after listening to all of this, he says, do you do well to be angry? Why are you angry? Like, what's the deal here? As a father of little kids, these type of conversations that don't make a whole lot of sense come up on a regular basis. Had one last night with my son. Hey, did you hit mom? Yuck. Do we hit mom? No. So why did you hit mom? I don't know. Cuz? Well, is hitting wrong. Yuck. So why did you hit mom? Because? Okay. Because it's not an answer. I'm mad. What would make you so mad? I don't know. So you don't know what made you mad enough to hit your mom and disobey your mom, even though you know that it's not? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with. The difference is is I'm talking to a three-year-old kid, and this is a grown man. A grown man who obviously the Lord has faith in. Otherwise, he wouldn't have chose this man to be the savior Of 120,000 people. End of chapter 4. It basically tells there's 120,000 people. In Nineveh. So there's some interesting things here. That I want to point out in the text as well. Throughout the book of Jonah. There is interchange between the name of the Lord. Sometimes it's Elohim. But a couple of times it's Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. Which is most commonly pronounced as Yahweh. So. There's a clear distinction in the text between some of the times where the, the Lord is Elohim or yod heh vav Now the two, for us, a lot of times is interchangeable. Just like Adonai, the Lord, um, some Jesus, whatever. It's interchangeable. And, and we don't think anything of it. However, during this time, the use of the name inside the Hebrew culture was not something that was regularly done. Elohim was more commonly used. And if you look, especially throughout the Old Testament, Elohim is used a lot more than Yahweh. So that's interesting because in chapters, uh, in verse six there, when they are talking about the Lord, it actually uses yod Hey vav He not Elohim. So why the change? Some of the commentators have said that this is just a writer's preference. That just while writing, they made this decision, could mean nothing. Just happened to be like, hey, I use father or I use dad, interchangeable. Or I use Mark versus dad in those situations. However, some of the commentaries have an interesting perspective on this. How it is used and where it is used, the difference between the term Elohim and yod Yahweh, is specifically in the area of talking about the destruction of Nineveh and then the repentance of Nineveh. Now, remember, at this point in time, Nineveh, a little backstory for those who weren't taught this in Sunday school Nineveh is not a Hebrew country. Hebrew, they're not Israelites, they're not Hebrews, they're not, they're not Christians, they're not Baptists, they're not whatever. They're anti Israelites, they're not pro Israel. I mean, if anything, it would be very similar to like Hezbollah or Iran is today to Israel. They're not friendly. Not at all. So Jonah, who identifies himself on the boat as a Hebrew. Once again, for those who are new to the Sabbath keeping movement and that Hebrew is a huge term here. Because a lot of times you talk about Jews versus Gentiles. You talk about the two houses of Judah versus the ten houses of Ephraim. Hebrews is before all that. It's all of the above. It is all of the above. So at this point in time, there's Hebrews. Jonah is a Hebrew. Jonah is a Hebrew who is being sent to the Gentiles and one would have to think as a Hebrew at that point in time, what does my God want with these people? It was common knowledge during that time that every one of the countries and the peoples had their own gods. Gods over the oceans, gods over the air, gods over the whatever. There was gods of everything. Those gods were known as territorial gods. So basically within the boundaries of your area, you had your own gods. You worshiped them, you had your own images of them, you adorned them. Jeremiah 10 and Jeremiah is talking about those idols Contrary to popular belief, that's not just about Christmas trees. Christmas trees didn't come around until 1500s. Jonah was alive long before that. He's talking about those various gods and various idols that each one of these territorial places had and that they felt had Worth. But you see earlier in the story of Jonah when he's on a fishing boat with a whole bunch of other men who have a whole bunch of other gods including Dagon, the god of the sea and all these things. It's like an Avengers movie. It's like, wow, Thanos, I am inevitable. And they're all going at it. But they knew that the Hebrew god was not bound by territory. It was widely known in that time that the Hebrew god was not bound by territory. That he was over all gods. So yes, You might have had Groot. You might have had a talking raccoon, but they all answered to him. They answered to Yahweh, Elohim of Israel. So Jonah, in part, widely to think of, is like, why does my God want anything to do with these people who want nothing to do with him? They have their own gods. They have their own whatever. Why does he want anything to do with them? Let alone, he doesn't want to go conquer them He wants them to repent so he doesn't destroy them. It wasn't like he was trying to make them slaves or it was going to like widen God's authority or anything. At that point in time, he was literally the only God that wasn't a territorial, wasn't bound by some markers or anything. He had everything. And so Jonah was in a similar place as Nineveh with God. Both are facing destruction by the God who knows no bounds. Here you have the Hebrews, and here you have the Gentiles. And so you have a Hebrew who is upset with the fact that by him going and preaching that God is going to repent. Now, mind you, this is one thing I still can't wrap my head around. There are arch enemies. There are arch enemies. And Jonah goes walking up into this city saying, repent, repent. You have 40 days to repent. Repent. Or the God of the Hebrews is going to take you out. You can't get rival gangs to walk up into the same street inside the same city. But you got a guy who came from a completely different town. And we're not talking about Moore versus Norman. We're not talking about OKC versus UConn. We're not talking about the Battle of Bedlam tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're talking about real stuff. We're not even talking about going across the Red River here. This is real stuff that we're talking about that they hated the Hebrews. They hated them. And he walks right up into their city and pronounces from his voice shouting that they got 40 days to live if they don't repent. Not only did they not shoot him with arrows and spears, to be historically accurate. They didn't bound him. They didn't drag him through the streets. They didn't put him on a cross. They didn't put him on a stake. They didn't put him on a willow tree. They didn't do any of that. They let him walk out of the city. And their response was to immediately repent. The king immediately calls a fast and tells him to put on sackcloth and ashes. And how did the Hebrew react? He threw a pity party for himself. I don't do well with pity parties personally. It's not really my personality. So you have a Hebrew who watched the God of the Hebrews show mercy and have pity on the Gentiles. And then went and threw a fit. Went outside the gate. Sat under the plant. And cried, woe is me, woe is me. Now, I don't claim to have any type of like new prophetic insights into like exactly what God was trying to do with Jonah. I'm not gonna just like blow your mind with some sort of mystic commentary on this. I have a very simple thought on this. Our cities, our countries in our world are full of places and people just like those who existed in Nineveh full of them they don't know Jesus they don't know Yahweh God is a universal term that's used or not used depend upon who you're talking to there's people like that all around us in our own cities in our own Walmarts in our Walmarts Like, let's be real. Those are the people I run from. I'm a little sketchy, especially if you're in more. Like, you got to be honest. You step back. Why? We mock them. I know from, unfortunately, from this very pulpit, at one point in time, there was an individual who claimed that the fires in California were God's judgment upon them. Absolutely disagree. We don't get to say stuff like that. Because we're putting ourselves in a position where we're basically playing the Jonah card. We're not going to be happy if God goes in there. Are we going to be happy if we're running around saying that California is full of a bunch of people who aren't, aren't, don't have the ability to be saved? They can't be redeemed? And God goes in and, and does a revival? And we have repentance? And we have restoration? And we have reconciliation? What are we going to do? Throw a fit? Walk back our mockery? Now don't get me wrong, I'm not condoning their behavior or their practices by any means. But we all know right now of people who would fit the mold of the things that were happening in the days of Jonah inside Nineveh. It's on our television every single day. Yet we were called by the apostles, given to them by Yeshua, we were called to go into the world to make disciples of Yeshua. That whosoever believes in Jesus Yeshua, professes with their mouth, and is baptized, shall be saved; shall have salvation. And I want to go back for just a second, and I want to go to Jonah too, and I want to go to the time while he's praying in the belly of the whale. This is after he's been thrown over the ship. This is after he's still not obeyed God, and he's in the belly of the whale. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 9, for those who are following along in your wonderful Bible app. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay because salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah knew that salvation wasn't going to come at his hands that the salvation belonged to Yodhe Baveh Elohim of Israel yet he couldn't bring his own time to go in there and after Yodhe Baveh rendered his judgment the righteous judgment he had on the city of Nineveh on the gentiles he wasn't happy with that now why is this important why do you talk about i mean like let's let's be honest i was just at the beach for a week Spent an awful lot of time looking at the water. Spent an awful lot of time trying to catch fish about that big and going through the water. It's not a skill God gave me. Let's just be honest. I didn't have a chance. But I never saw any fish that was big enough to eat me. Not even skinning me from two years ago. Wasn't a thing. Didn't exist. I saw dolphins jump out. Could have touched them. I didn't see no whales big enough to eat me. We were on some choppy water. I didn't see anything. So what, I mean, what's the relevancy for today? The relevancy for today is the fact that we must understand that we have been guilty as a collective movement, as a body, as individuals of making comments like they're too far gone or I'm not really comfortable with going there. You know, when Stephen talked about, we're going to the city rescue mission next Saturday and then to Grace Living Center. Some people just aren't comfortable. I don't like old people. Oh, I don't like homeless people. Oh, I don't like poor people. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. We make excuses that degrade the very people we were put on this earth to help save. I've done it. I'm guilty of it. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I'm not. At some point in time through our life, we've all made some sort of distinction about an individual. It could be financially based. We've all done it. We're judgmental. And in the United States of America, we're extremely judgmental. But what's worse? What's worse? One who professes Yeshua with their lips after living a portion of their life being anti to Jesus. Or a person who professes Jesus with their lips, and then lives their life anti to Jesus. What is worse? Because if you were to talk to people who considered themselves to be saved or considered themselves to be religious right now, the overwhelming commentary on that is that the judgment is mainly upon the people who are not saved, the people who are worldly, the people who are at bars and clubs. I would never be at a bar. Don't you know nothing good happens after 9 p.m.? I bought a house and turned into my father. That's one of the most commonly said, but that's not where the most common judgment comes in. The most common judgment comes into the people who profess Yeshua with their lips and then turn around and live anti to him in their everyday walk. We make comments like, well, we'll know they're saved if we see their actions change. Or this is just a gimmick. They're just out for money. They're going to sell something. I'm not really sure that they actually did accept Jesus into their life. We don't have pity on them. We have no real distress for where they might be in their spiritual life, in their physical life. We have no empathy. We have no sympathy for them. What's even worse is that the longer you are in a religious movement of some sorts, whether that be Baptist, I had somebody tell me I was, I'd make a great Baptist except for the fact that I love beer. I mean, that's a problem. You can't be a good Baptist and be open about your love for beer. You've got to be quiet about your love for beer. But we have people who have been in movements for a long period of time. I'm one of them, been in for 12 years. And over a period of time with the things that you see, you actually grow colder to the people who are there with you. This isn't like me going into like Los Angeles, into the worst part of Los Angeles and trying to witness. This is us trying to witness and have spiritual conversations with people who keep the same feasts as us, who use the same Hebrew pronunciations as us, who do the same things. They check all the right boxes. But our love has grown cold for them. We struggle to fellowship with them. I struggle to fellowship with them a lot. I've become very antisocial. That's my personality. I retreat. But didn't Jonah retreat when he was told to go? Wasn't that the whole contention between him and God? was that God already knew what was going to happen. God already had the plan. God told him to go, and he retreated. I don't need to go. I already know what you're going to do. You're going to do it with or without me. It's easy for us to take up our own cause, but how many of us are really truly listening for what God's plan is for each and every one of us? I can tell you this. The other day I woke up, I wanted some peanut butter pretzels. And I made everybody in that house get up and put their clothes on. And we drove three minutes to Walmart. It took three minutes because it takes a lot forever to get in the car. It was like less than, like a block. I should have walked. Really should have walked after eating the pretzels. I wanted them. That was my cause. I took up my cause. I went to Walmart and I got them. And I ate them. But when my kids wanted to make cookies daddy's tired there's football on we all like to take up our own cause it's very easy for us to take up our own cause to fight our own fight but are we really truthfully standing up for the other ones that God has entrusted us with if you are not a new believer you have been entrusted by your witness to people who are new believers As much as people don't want me to talk about the church or whatever, that's the reason why there's a board right outside that door that says New Covenant members. Oh my gosh, is the church using the word covenant? Heaven forbid. New Covenant members. The reason why their pictures are there is that they're excited. They are promoting the fact that these people have joined their church. They are a part of their body. They are a part of their community. And they want people to see their face. They want them to see their family. And they want to be able to support them. I applaud them for that. I applaud them for that. Because as a Sabbath keeping, as a Saturday church, here's how we'd handle that. Oh, you're new here. Hi, how are you? If we get that far. Sometimes I'm not even that good. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Talk a little bit about them. Something would intrigue us. Say, so what calendar do you keep? What what was, what was the pronunciation of that name? This is the common elements of our movement, of our denomination, of our environment. Yet we are called to go love on them and support them. Most of the reason why most people won't stay inside a community is due to the people already in the community. We become judgmental. We become haughty. We become prideful. Jonah's job was simple. It was to go to a city and cry out for repentance. He didn't want to do it. Let me be honest with you. I'm not sure I could. I'm not sure missions to to another country is really something that I'm, I'm geared up to do. I can tell you God's never called me to do it. But just to be honest with you, I don't know if I could do it. But we are called to make disciples. And God does give us food to eat and cars to drive and environments and interactions with people every single day. So we're not even talking about God like picking you up out of your sleep and saying, go to Nigeria, go to India. Go to Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. We're not talking about going to the four corners of the earth here. We're talking about just what happens inside our day-to-day operation. I want to talk to you about the whale in the room. One of the most recent public, all too public elements of this is Kanye West. I'm not endorsing Kanye West. I'm not not endorsing Kanye West for all of the the emails or whatever will come. But Kanye West led a very public life as a rapper, a designer, a producer, and a lot of other things. He was raunchy. He did not live a life that glorified anybody but himself, self-admittedly. Recently, he came and made a public proclamation that Jesus is his salvation, that Jesus became his savior, and by the acceptance of Jesus, he is changing things in his life. Now, that's huge in my mind. And I know maybe I'm the minority, but that's huge. You have a person who has lived their entire life publicly anti to biblical principles, anti to Jesus. One point in time, he wrote a Bible basically calling himself Jesus. And now he's publicly standing up and using his position to promote that Jesus has changed his life. I have no expectation that Kanye West is living the perfect life. I have no expectation that Kanye is perfect because I'm not perfect. I have no expectation that Kanye doesn't stumble on a daily basis. But yet, the amount of news articles, the amount of on-air time, the amount of social media posts, the amount of conversations absolutely ripping apart a man that most people have never stepped foot in a room with. All because he's not real, or this is a gimmick, or this is something else. Our world makes it hard enough for us to stand up and say that Jesus is our salvation. Then you add some seats, you add a Sabbath day, you add no Christmas, you add no Easter, you add no this, you add no that. And all of a sudden, there are a lot of areas that we don't feel that comfortable in. Why in the world as believers would we go out of our way to make the greatest thing you can do in your life a potential stumbling block? Today, I'm going to give up, I'm going to give up pork. I'm going to give up pornography. I'm going to give up all these things that I do in my my worldly life. And I'm going to publicly promote that Jesus is salvation. I'm even going to use the Hebrew word Yeshua. I mean, like, come on. 10 years ago, I've been a Messianic for 12 years ago. You never heard Yeshua used unless you, I mean, that was like a telltale sign that it's like, all right, you're Messianic, aren't you? Welcome to the club. Did a little high five, shake, seats. It's evolved. We cannot be the stumbling block for one another. Look, I get it. Iron sharpens iron. But when we're questioning the salvation and the repentance of individuals, we need to be very careful. Because in the story of Jonah... Jonah's sole job was to go to a country to get them to repent to accept Jesus as salvation. That was his sole job. So now we've taken a different approach right now that it's, well, if you've already done that, we're going to be the Sanhedrin that proves whether or not that exists. That's not our job. We've never been given that mandate, we've never been given that authority. And we are not righteous enough to be able to judge in a proper manner. So what we do is we become a stumbling block for our brothers and sisters to find Jesus as salvation. The Torah can't save you. Only Mashiach can. Only God can bring about the salvation of the creation He created. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the Torah. But we're right now talking about a prime example that millions and millions of people know about right now because it's all over the news. He's closed on Sunday and loves Chick-fil-A. And they're publishing articles filled with hate, filled with he's not done enough. He's, this guy has come out and publicly pronounced that Jesus is salvation. We should be jumping from the roof. What example are you setting to the little children? That's one of the things I love about HFF is that we got tons of kids. What example are we setting to the little children when we're out there and we're having conversations and we're ripping on a person that they absolutely know who Kanye West is and we're ripping on whether he's actually saved or not and then we're like, hey, sweetie, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? And they're like, I don't want nothing to do with that, mom. Because the next moment that I hick mommy Am I going to be worthy of my salvation? We have to be careful. Everything we do has ramifications. Obviously, Jonah, everything he did had ramifications. He said no to God, ended up in the belly of a whale. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to threaten you. Like, you're not going to walk out there and God told you to do something. And I don't believe that there's going to be a whale sitting out there ready to eat you. Or a giant alligator or a lizard or a serpent or a dinosaur, maybe a T-Rex, but not a velociraptor. It's not going to happen. I don't believe it, but we need to be careful about what we're doing because no one is too far gone and there isn't a sin that you or I have committed or will commit that God cannot cleanse you from and redeem you from. There isn't one. The entire Bible is about repentance, redemption, and restoration to the greater things of God and his kingdom, but do we honestly believe that? Do we honestly believe that? We walk around and talk about like, I'm a re- redeemed precious saint to the most high God. Do you honestly believe that you're a redeemed precious saint to the most high God? Do you honestly believe that you're a different person? Let me ask you, if you don't feel like you're a different person, are you actually a different person? Have you truly repented and been redeemed and restored to God? If you have. Nowhere in the book of Jonah did God send Jonah and tell them to repent of the fact that they were keeping Sunday or that they were eating ham at their dinner or that they kept the Enoch calendar, not the Jasser calendar. Those things were irrelevant because at that point in time, they did not even know Jesus. They did not even know Yahweh. They did not know anything, did not accept them. They lived for themselves. They were their gods and everything they could fashion with their own hands but the story of Jonah points out to us that Yeshua's blood is for all and that God was always about all creation. Always about all creation. You cannot be a part of the king's kingdom unless you're grafted into that kingdom. There is no separate gates for you. There's no Gentile gate. There's no this, there's no that. Kanye West isn't gonna get a separate gate with his bodyguards and his Yeezys. They don't exist. There are 12 gates in the city For the 12 tribes, you're grafted in. Otherwise, you're not getting in the kingdom. It's that simple. Plain and simple. There is no separate salvation for white people or black people or Hispanics or any other race or creed, skinny, fat, whatever. We should be seeking out those and going into our cities. We should be seeking out those who don't know and going out. Instead, what we've done is we've created churches that are like country clubs. Well, I'm kind of happy you're here because we're friends. Hey, you're a big donor. Glad you're here. Sorry, this ain't the place for you. You're not safe here. If that's what you want, this isn't the place. It's not going to end well. See me after service. I'll find you a church that works for you. This isn't the place. Sorry. We're going to make a difference. Whether God throws our face in the cement to do it or we do it willingly, we're going to make a difference in this city. We're going to make a difference in this movement. We're going to make a difference in lives. Because if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to heed the call of God, then why are we here? What are we doing? Tarnishing the reputation of the Most High God while we sit and get fat and lazy? Show me where that's okay. Never once should we rejoice in the destruction of others. We should rejoice when a person calls out to Jesus as their salvation. It's time for us to stop becoming the stumbling block for someone to find Jesus. Just go Google. Go Google the articles. Some of the things that are being said about the Christian community, about believers in general? If you didn't preface it with Christians, you would think that they were talking about worldly people. But they're not. They're talking about the judgment and things that are being levied by people who profess with their mouth that Jesus is salvation. And yet, the number one search result during that two-week period of time was Jesus. Jesus. Google. Now I'm a tech guy. I make a living marketing using the internet. Google's not your friend. Google's not out to help you. Google's got their own agenda. And before you go putting tinfoil hats on and like running to the hills or anything, like it's okay. Everything will be fine. Don't fear them. Just like Jeremiah says, don't fear it. But Google's agenda is not a pro Christian agenda. It's not a pro-family agenda. And yet the number one overwhelming search result after Kanye West comes out with the profession of faith and his album is about Jesus. How is that bad, guys? What? Because Jesus is not his real name? Guess what I answer to Chris? I answer to Mason. Hmm. My mom makes it abundantly clear when I see her that my name is Christopher. Christopher. Sometimes James, depending upon what I'm doing, I answer. Have we sat outside the gates of the city and thrown our own pity party because God hasn't enforced our pronunciation of a name or a calendar or or our our direct interpretation of a prophecy or a revelation? Has that what we become? If that's what we become, we're doing it all wrong because all we should be doing is face down crying out for God to come back. That's the only hope if that's where we're at. If we believe we have nothing left, there's nobody to be saved, there's no redemption to be done in this earth, then what are we doing other than just crying out in sackcloth and ashes and begging Jesus to come back? Take us on the greater Exodus. We're done. I hate to break it to you. When God calls you, you are done when he tells you you're done. And that may be a retirement. That may be whatever. But if God has called you, if he has anointed you and he's ordained you to a task, whether you like it or not, he'll tell you when you're done. You don't get to tell him when you're done. All the bad things that happen in your life happen because you don't realize that God is your head and you quit God. Your financial struggles, your marriage struggles are all that. Husbands, man up. Stop whining. Stop throwing a pity party. Take responsibility for what God has entrusted you with. Because right now, we're supposed to be going out there, but we're too busy fighting in here. We can't even line up and figure out who gets the rake and who gives the shovel. Who cares? Just grab a utensil and go do whatever God gave you the ability to do. Well, the shovel is pagan. I don't know if Kanye West has found salvation in Jesus. Jesus. No different than I know of any of you have found salvation in Jesus. I don't get to make that decision. I've never been given that authority. I will never be given that authority. So if I'm not going to judge and walk around talking about whether that man has done enough to receive the restoration from God and the salvation of God, why I mean, why wouldn't I do it inside here? Why won't we... I know of Messianic congregations that won't allow you into a Passover Seder unless you drop trowel in the men's room and check to see if you're circumcised. Those things exist. They exist. I don't go. Ain't never happening here, but They exist. They exist. There's not little an ID card that God like comes out of the sky and stamps it and says, here, let me show you my salvation. No, it's, it's an ever-growing process that we're walking through together. I don't ever want to be the stumbling block that causes you to fall away from God in any way, shape, or form. I also don't want you to lift me up on a pedestal. So encouraging Kanye West as a new believer, encouraging any new believer... I don't give a rat's behind if they keep Christmas or Easter. If they said that Jesus is their salvation and they gave their life to Jesus, we should be rejoicing. We should do anything in our power at this point in time to help draw them closer to the love of Yeshua. Plain and simple. Let God sort out the rest. Let the power of the Holy Spirit do the rest. Do our job. Our job is to witness to them. God's job is to cause salvation. We got cart before the horse here, people. Moses couldn't offer salvation. The Torah can't offer salvation. God can offer salvation. Jonah couldn't offer salvation. David couldn't offer salvation. The four horsemen of the apocalypse can't offer salvation. God can offer salvation. Our job is to go into the cities and support them. Young people, you're a witness every place you go. I know it's not easy. It's not easy. And I'm sorry that on a regular basis, including myself, there's a very judgmental spirit that comes out against Christians, against behavior and stuff like that. But we should never be looking for the destruction of anyone, especially authors, teachers, pastors, heads of households, all these things. I can't tell you how many times I see where it's like, well, we're looking for the fall of Joel Olstein. We're looking for the fall of, of Dr. Michael Heiser. Oh, we're waiting for the fall of Kanye West. We're waiting for the fall of a messianic teacher. Repent. That's all I got to say is repent. Nobody should want the destruction of anybody. And in turn, if we don't want the destruction of somebody... We should not be throwing a pity party for ourselves because God didn't do the way we want or God gave. Oh, can you can you believe how horrible of a person that wasn't? God offered them salvation. Yes. Because your life isn't over and you don't know what you're gonna screw up. Shouldn't you be happy? Shouldn't you be glad that there is a merciful God? I am, I'm excited. All the rest of the riffraff is just that. It's riffraff. Jay-Z said you got to get that dirt off your shoulder. Why? Because none of that stuff does anything to profit the kingdom. It does nothing to build people up in their most holy faith like Jude said. Another great book of the Bible. Short read too. You can audible it if you need to. I think it's free. Who knows? If it's not, you need to find the free version because it's better. First Fruits Design does audio too. Jonah had the ability as he sat outside the gates of that city to find joy in what God had done. To think that you could witness with your own eyes the Hebrew God turning and going out to a non-Hebrew people to offer them mercy and grace. To think you could have been the person who saw that first. How awe-inspiring that would have been. But instead, he took pity over a plant and over himself. I know how this feels. I've done it myself. I did it this week. But we have to be careful that we do not become a Jonah generation, one that is unwilling to extend the very mercy that God has extended to us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Shabbat. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. Father, please continue by the power of your Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to mold us, to turn us into the people that you would have for us, Father, to prepare the way for the return of Yeshua. Lord, use us mightily in this city to help usher in your kingdom on this earth. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For you are for and all the brothers and sisters say, amen. All right, guys, we're going to have some own egg. We'll see you next week. Find some joy this week, okay? Find some joy? Yeah? All right, we'll see you guys next week.